Amen. Amen. You can be seated. Well, as um, we all know, Monday is a pretty big day, and if you're into the world of NASA, or if you're into the things of the sky and all these things, we know we got a solar eclipse coming up, right? And they only happen ever so often. Uh, so I was looking through some things. This is just kind of on a lighter note. Is uh, any, Okay, show of hands, who's got your official solar eclipse glasses where you can stare at it, your eyes aren't, your retinas aren't going to go crazy. Make sure you see the disclaimer and that you're not getting the fake ones, but you're getting the real deal. And make sure you're, uh, you're not going to get messed up. Uh, but this is uh, a, a couple of, um, I like to call dad jokes. You know, I think they're funny. You might not, but I thought it'd be a good way just to kind of uh, bring some humor to the big solar eclipse moment. And this is from the perspective of pastors. Okay, so pastors look for these events that are always happening to say, okay, how can I bring this in and just try to maybe be relevant and, and bring some humor or bring some stories into events that are happening in America or uh, around the world. So this is, this is just some funny stuff that I hope you can get uh, some laughs out of. So it says, uh, some of y'all are focused on the S-U-N when you should be focused on the S-O-N. All right, I thought that was a good one. So don't be focused on the sun, be focused on Jesus Christ, the sun, if you didn't catch it. Here's another one. Y'all know everything about the solar eclipse, but you need to start praising him with your soul and lips. That was good. <laughs> Here's one. The moon, I love these. The moon moves in front of the sun to create darkness in different areas. This is like more of an altar moment, okay? So let me ask you, where are the moons in your life? Where's the darkness in your life? So that's where that one's coming from. All right, last one. Yeah, we'll scratch that one. Last one is, okay, you guys are excited about the sun, moon, and earth eclipse. Well, there are people in this room that need a heart, mind, and soul or eclipse. That was good. We'll put these right here. We'll scratch those. All righty. <clears throat> so this morning, uh, Pastor Joyce shared a wonderful word last week. We're so thankful at Eye Opener. Um, which is kind of funny with a solar eclipse. You better watch out how much your eyes are open there. But this, uh, this morning, I want to continue on. We've been in uh, a series, Old School. Some things never go out of style. Looking at some of the values just here at our church that create community, that create transformational moments in our lives, how the Word of God can come alive, how we have the presence of God in our life. And so this morning, I'm going to look at um, another one of our core values. And I believe that this, is, this isn't just a churchy thing. These are principles that are evident in God's word of how when the apostles took on the mantle of building a church, what did it look like? What defined them? And this core value this morning is Christ-like integrity. How many of you know in our walk with God that we need to have Christ-like integrity? Show of hands, come on. You know you need integrity in your life. And kind of define what integrity is, or kind of the, uh, how it's defined. It says that we believe that our personal integrity is the greatest reflection of our relationship with Christ. We know that true spiritual maturity is measured by obedience and not knowledge. Isn't that true? We can say all we want. We can say we know everything. But true obedience isn't measured by just what comes out of our mouth. 
it's measured by our actions. It's when our faith becomes into works. It's because out of the, the heart, the abundance of the mouth speaks. So whatever's in your heart is usually what comes out of your mouth. And so this morning, I want us to focus in on integrity and do some self-reflection of how am I walking in, te- in integrity in my life? And this is, there's different perspectives that we can look at integrity. We can look at integrity and say, okay, am I cheating on my taxes or am I completely truthful? That's a vantage point of integrity. But really, the vein that I want us to get into this morning is, am I honest with myself? Am I who I say I am? Because that's a big part of integrity, is when I meet you and I talk to you, am I talking with the real you or am I talking to the you that wants to be perceived a certain way? We talked a couple weeks ago, we all put on masks, and we have different masks we wear in different situations of our life. But there's something about where Christ, when we're transformed by his presence, and the word of God comes into us and changes us, then we should start becoming like him and throwing off these masks that we use to hide ourselves in, or that because of insecurity or because of pride, we put around as safeguards in our life. And so this is a tough message to preach, we get honest about a couple things, but it's in these type of messages or these type of moments that really can bring transformation in your life. Because I don't want to just come up here and pep us up all the time. Because the word of God is always leads to transformation. What we just sang and what we prayed and what we just addressed isn't something that's lighthearted. It's something that's very serious and something that's very real. And the same is with our integrity. Because when you stand when I stand before the judgment seat of Christ, Christ isn't going to look at the mask that we have on. He's going to take those off and look at the real you. He's going to look at the real you. And so Webster, he defines integrity as the quality of being honest, having strong moral principles, moral uprightness. Used in a sentence, he is known to be a man of integrity. And the second definition is it's the state of being whole and undivided. I think we can all say we desire to be whole in our lives. As we say, bring healing to a broken world. Well, that applies for you and I, that the broken areas in our lives desire to be healed. And I want us to be able to say, as we're on the process of transformation and of growth, that we are who we say we are in Christ, that we're not putting up masks or different things around us to try to be something that we're not. You know, the word integrity comes from a math word, it's integer, and it's, it means that you were one person, or you were, it's one thing, so you're one person, meaning you're not, and this is the biggest thing a lot of Christians have to push through, is you're not one person in church, worshiping, singing, clapping, loving, forgiving, smiling, and then when you step foot past the threshold of your home, you're a whole different person, or you step foot into your job, and you're joking around or going, doing things that aren't Christ-like. And so that, this is a, a battle and a pull that all of us experience at some point in our lives. But when we allow Christ-like integrity to come into our world, guess what? You can be the same person in church as the same person you are on Saturday night or on Friday night or in the workplace or in your family. That there should be a consistent strand in your life of being, having Christ-like integrity, not based off different moments where you, can, you feel that situations can bring emotions out or bring things out. 
But my desire, and the heart of God is, as we'll look at Scripture, is for you to be level-headed, mature believers, followers of Christ. But this isn't something we snap our fingers at and it's done. It's working through things, and it's going through the process of transformation. Anybody want to buckle up for the process of transformation? You know, I think about integrity as well, where we all, again, desire to have integrity in our life. And it's, I wrote this down, it's not necessarily that you're being dishonest in everything you do, but there's just something in us that kind of just wants to hide from the truth. Where we hear the truth, we read God's word, we know what it says, but it's uncomfortable at times, or we don't necessarily know how to process it or handle it, so then we just kind of say, well, I don't think I really read that right, or I don't really think I saw that right. And so we kind of step out of it because it's uncomfortable. But what, how transformation takes place is where when you stay in that place of something that's uncomfortable, and you allow it just to wrestle your flesh, and you allow it to get a little messy, and you allow it to get uncomfortable, and you don't step up out of it, because that's how the things of Christ, again, we can say we love each other, and we can understand love, but at the basis of love, there is a cross. And so we can't understand what real love is without a cross. And we see Christians all over America, all over the world, that are trying to push the cross out of the equation of love because it's just too uncomfortable. It doesn't make sense. Is that really that important? It's crazy. It's crazy talk when you think about it. But for us to really experience anything of God, any core values of who Jesus was, at the center of it is always the cross. You know, I think, I think of when uh, Adam and Eve, when they had sinned, we all know what they did. They went and ran and, and they hid from God, right? And then it says that they sewed up fig leaves and things to cover themselves because they were ashamed that they were exposed. In one point, yes, they were hiding from God, but they were also ashamed and were hiding from each other and even deeper, even hiding from themselves. Because when we sin, when we fall short, the first thing that we feel is usually shame or we feel guilt or condemnation. And so we want to hide and retreat. And so we see Adam and Eve that when they sinned or when they fell short, when they made a mistake, that they wanted to hide themselves. And so we have to know as part of our human nature, when we make mistakes, when we fall short, when our integrity doesn't show up, the thing within us makes us want to retreat and hide and, and not expose ourselves. But the thing in order to truly find healing is the opposite effect. If you want to find healing and forgiveness of your sin, you have to expose yourself. You think, think about it this way. When all of us go for our one-year checkup to the doctor, there's usually some uncomfortable things that take place, some exposure that kind of has to happen to really get to the core issue of things. And so you can even see through that that it's uncomfortable when you have to expose yourself or you have to open up and say, this is what I'm feeling in my body. Can you check me out, please? I have this pain. And so exposure, especially in our society, in our world, isn't an easy thing to do. You walk into the dentist. If you're not willing to open your mouth, maybe uh, take some medicine or get a needle put in your gums to numb an area in your mouth, if you're not willing to expose yourself there, then guess what? You're still going to have pain in your tooth. So it takes exposure in order to let the work of the Holy Spirit to come into your life. Because 
The Holy Spirit cannot move freely in your life if you don't open up and expose yourself. And we're going to look at a way God can still get through even though we're not willing to expose ourselves here in a second. It's amazing how God, because of his grace and mercy, can still push through to us. Because there's some of you sitting here, he's pushed through to you when you thought that he can never push through to you or that he was even real. You know, at the, at the core of everything, we have to be willing to call sin, sin. We have to be willing to call sin, sin. We can't just say, oh, that's just a bad or that's just a glitch in that person's personality. A lot of the times, it is a sin, but because, again, I don't want to believe, maybe as a parent to a child, I don't want to believe my child's going through that or that they're dealing with that, so I'm just going to try to fix it the best way I know how and not get to the core root of, hey, this is a sin, that is penetrating this person's life or that is falling short of and he needs to be healed. Here's another thing. We're all going to make mistakes. We all make mistakes. I sin today. You sin today. We sin. Here's the part that gets touchy with God. He's not, he's not uh, surprised when we make mistakes or he doesn't feel that we're, we're not able to be restored or healed. What really gets at the heart of God, as you can see through Scripture, and again, parents, you can relate to this as well, is when we sin and then we run over and we try to hide it. We try to to fix it or we try to make sure no one sees what we did in the dark. So that's what really gets at God. When we we try to put figs, fig leaves over our sin and hide it and, and not expose ourselves and that never really happened. There was never that process of repentance or that process of forgiveness or that process of exposure to allow that to happen. So that's where you have to know that when you make a mistake, God is not mad at you. His arm is extended to pull you back up and heal you. But what your flesh tells you and what my flesh tells me is that don't, don't expose it. Just try to fix it and cover it up and hide it. But we know that all that does is suppress it, and then it gets right down the road. You're going to be falling back right into that same sin, or you're going to keep digging your hole deeper and deeper and deeper. You all tracking with me this morning? Look what Psalms 15, 1 through 2 says. It says, Lord, and this is David talking, Lord, who may abide in your tabernacle? Who may dwell in your holy hill? He who walks uprightly and works righteousness. And I love what this next line says, this part of scripture. It says, and speaks the truth in his heart. So who may dwell with the Lord? It's a person who speaks the truth in his heart, not not just his words. You can quote the word of God all day in every situation, but if it's not in your heart, if it's not in your soul, If it doesn't define you, then there's no power in it. There's no power in it. So that's why you have to get the scriptures and the word of God in you because that's where power comes from in your life. Several months ago, Bree talked about Jacob and how Jacob wrestled with God. It's a famous passage of scripture. I want to look at a different vantage point of that. Bree brought out that a lot of the time we want God to change our circumstance, but not change us. I want to look at a different vantage point of this, is that if you know some context, if you know anything about Jacob, you would know that he's a deceiver. You, you know, if you, as you go and you read back in Genesis, 
that you would see how Jacob deceived his father into taking the blessing or the inheritance from his brother Esau. And you would, you'll see as you continue to read scripture that Jacob continued to lie to his brother Esau in different circumstances and different events. And so the name Jacob actually means deceiver. So we know at the core of who Jacob was, he was a deceiver. And so as you go and as you fast forward to Genesis 32 and you pick up and you read where Jacob wrestles with God. If you were to read this scripture and you were to understand it in the context of the early church or the early believers, they would understand Jacob as a man who was prideful, who was arrogant, and would never admit when he did wrong. And so because Jacob wouldn't have this process or this self-examination or didn't have integrity in his life, because God loved him, guess what he did? He showed up and he began to wrestle with Jacob. He began to go up against his pride. He began to get really real with Jacob, just like some of us have experienced. And here's what we have to know about God as we see through this. As a lot of the times when we feel we're backed in a corner, or we feel that God's wrestling with our finances, wrestling in our relationships, wrestling in all these areas of our life, we want to say, devil, get behind me. Where a lot of the time, it's a face-to-face encounter with God wrestling your flesh down so that you can expose yourself and receive the blessing of God or receive the power of God in your life. And so God is wrestling with Jacob to wear his flesh down. And if you'll go and you'll read the scripture, you'll see at the end of his wrestling match, because, okay, if any of you WWF or WWE fans, I'm talking the old school wrestling, it's entertainment and fake today, then it was a little bit more real. So what was the point of a wrestling match? It's to pin somebody down and make them submit. Submission. And so this is where you see at the end of Genesis 32 in scripture that at the end of the fight, which is kind of weird, God asks Jacob what his name is. Not at the beginning. It's kind of like he's wrestling him. He's like, oh, by the way, what's your name? You know, it's kind of weird, strange. It doesn't usually happen that way. So God asks, what is Jacob's name? And Jacob, Jacob says, I'm Jacob. And so it was at that point when, when he was in submission, and you have to know about the Old Testament, whatever your name was defined your character. It's who you were. It was your lifeline. It said everything about you. So your name carried so much more weight than we understand today. And so by Jacob saying, my name is Jacob, he was admitting, I'm a deceiver. I'm a liar. He was getting real with himself. Because there was never going to be right relationship between Jacob and God until he dealt with those areas in our life. And that's what I'm saying to you. If you want to advance forward, if you want to move forward, if you want to experience the power of God in your life, you have to allow God to wrestle with you. You have to allow yourself exposure between you and God. That should be a normal part in our walk with God. Confession daily of our sin. Confession daily of how we've fallen short. Not, ah, God understands, it's all good. Because it creates humility. We're we're supposed to be humble in all we do. We see... A lot of the mess we see in the world today is because everyone thinks they're right. Their opinion matters more than everyone else's. There's no humility anymore. So whenever we approach God, always do it in a heart of humility. Because here's what we see through Jacob. 
Because he wrestled with God, he was transformed. And you'll see later in Scripture that God gave him a new name, which was Israel, which means Prince of God. And that's what he does with you and I. When we get real with ourselves, that's the hard part. The forgiveness is easy because it was already purchased and it was already made right for you and I to have right relationship. So when we allow God to wrestle with us, we expose ourselves, then that's where Christ comes in. He says, I forgive you. I was just waiting for you to get real with me and be honest and take off your mask that you're not a deceiver, Jacob, and that you're not a liar, but you're this great leader and you're this great person. When I know your motives and I know your heart and you've never dealt with this area of your life. Popular saying is sometimes you have to go back in order to go forward. Things that are undealt with your life, if God puts you in a place over here and these areas aren't dealt with, then you're going to fail here because you didn't deal with there. Here's another. We see in Luke chapter 4. Again, we have to understand that God sometimes authors wilderness seasons in our life because he wants to wrestle us down and get us real with ourselves. Anybody been in a wilderness in here before? You've been through something before. Look what it says, Luke chapter 4, verse 1. It says, Then Jesus, being filled with the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led, here's what we always want to say, led by the devil, but we know it says led by the Spirit, into what? The wilderness, being tempted for 40 days. So Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, was not led by the enemy by the devil into the wilderness, was led by the Spirit of God into the wilderness. For, I would say, probably the toughest 40 days of his life. Up to that point, cross was pretty tough. I thought this was good, too. It speaks to this. It says, this is kind of how we change in our lives. Usually, I wish it happened this way, but it doesn't. Sometimes it does. I'll just read it to you. It says, Usually we don't change because we see the light, but because we feel the heat. Isn't that true? Usually we don't change because we see the light. That would just be too easy. It's kind of like when a parent tells their child, hey, if you, want to, if, if you do this, this result is going to happen. Don't you just wish your child could just say, oh my gosh, mom, you're so right. I'm not going to do that. <laughs> it's usually they hear it, then they go and do it, and then they get burned and they say, all right, mom, you were right. I was listening. So we usually don't change because we hear light, see the light, but because we experience the heat of a situation. And here's some more perspective for us. Especially as we are living in the times we're living in and having to understand long-suffering, not jump out of situations because it's tough. But we have to understand the perspective that God has for us. You know, so many times we want to idolize happiness in our life. We want to idolize happiness. I want to be happy. I want to go on this vacation to be happy. I, I, I make plans where I live, what I drive, what I do, where I work, who I love, because I, I want to be happy. For so many of us, and again, I'm guilty of it too, we make decisions in our life based off happiness. But you have to hear this, and this needs to, it was a refresher for me. That God is always more, God is more concerned about our holiness than our happiness. He's more concerned about our holiness and, than our happiness. What is holiness? It's being set apart for a specific purpose. Guess what? You are set apart for a specific purpose. 
Because when we idolize happiness, then guess what? We make decisions for prosperity all the time. We make decisions, oh, this is going to be easy, and this is going to bring me comfort. And we start to idolize ease, prosperity, and comfort. And we start making decisions all the time that base these things around our lives. And when you do that, then you get put into a wilderness season, your whole faith crumbles, and you say, God, where are you? I thought you wanted ease, prosperity, and comfort in everything I do in my life. Parents, has, has your journey of raising kids been ease, prosperity, and comfort? <laughs> right. Amen, Caleb. I know yours has. Mine has too. I haven't had kids. Uh, at least it's better than the solar eclipse jokes there. And so we have to understand that happiness is happenstance. So therefore, happiness is usually just in a moment. Our life is more full than just a moment of bliss or a moment of joy or a vacation mentality. All those things are good. Yes, God wants you to be happy. But there's something so much fuller than happiness. It's a joy. It's a joy that he gives us when we're in our calling, when we're going toward, when we're raising our children, when we're loving our spouse the way that Christ calls us, it brings a joy that's so much higher than happiness that guess what? Scripture says the joy of the Lord is your strength. You're going to have strength to go through that wilderness season because joy has been deposited into your life. Because you chose to stay and allow God to grow you in the wilderness before jumping out because it, 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 was, it was too much heat or it was too hot or it was too hard. Where the church is headed, and what God especially has called this church to do, is not easy, is not comfortable. And so that's where we have to allow God to wrestle us and put his integrity in us so that whatever comes against us, we can stand and we can stand strong. So that's where, as even a few weeks ago when we talked about the mask, you have to have moments. You specifically have to set aside time in your life. Again, this should be normal, as I challenge myself for allow it, to allow it to be normal, where you get alone with God and you get really honest and you allow God's word to get really honest with you. And then you put yourself up against God's word. You see where you're lacking and you fall on your knees before him in humility and say, God, make up within me, Holy Spirit, what I'm lacking. Show me the way of truth. Show me the way of your word and allow me to take baby steps into it. That's how you grow and that's how you become transformed. It starts with honesty and then his integrity gets put within you. And then you start to see, I love being obedient to his word. It's just not, I know that I can do all things through Christ who strengthened me. But I know that, man, when I get obedient to God's word, there is grace and empowerment that I can do all things through him who strengthens me. You see the difference there? And so that's where we have to ask God. And again, God, God gets honest. God doesn't play around. He might say, hey, you're dealing with some lust, or there's some greed in your life, or you're a jerk. <laughs> you have to be willing to hear truth when it comes, because it's the truth that what? It sets us free. And it's his word that is life and sets us free. Look what James 4, 6 says. We hear this a lot. It says, but he gives more grace. 
It says that God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. You need grace in your life for this journey? Approach him in humility. James 5.16. Confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Then he goes on to say the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. A perspective of what that's saying is you have to be willing to be open and honest with others in your life. You've got to have people you can trust that you can lay it all out. You know, that's where the early church always had confession, where you would meet with that priest or that pastor and you would confess and that priest would be the image of Christ and say, hey, you're forgiven. And just as he said throughout scripture, now go and sin no more. There's something that's healthy and revitalizing and refreshing when you get it off and you say, this is what I did. I need forgiveness, God. And then a transaction or a deposit takes place where you experience the power of God and forgiveness. And then you're set back up on your feet and you keep continuing on in the process of transformation. But again, we're all gonna make mistakes. It's where it gets sticky and, and sinful with God is when we go and we lie and we try to cover it up. That's what we gotta be aware of because that's what our flesh says to do. Your flesh does not want you to be honest because you're being honest with your flesh and he's the one who's gonna pay the price. Again, Jacob's honesty led to his transformation. So two things to remember quickly as you're having honest moments because this is what can happen when you get honest with yourself and this is where the enemy wants to come in. You need to know that no sin is too big for God to forgive. Amen? No sin is too big for God to forgive. Look what the prophet Isaiah says in Isaiah 1, 18 through 20. I thought this was good. It says in 18, he says, Come now and let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be as wool. And I love how it says, hey, wait a second. Come now and let us reason together. Because a lot of the time when we feel we've sinned, fall short, we just want to go and hide and get depressed and oppressed and every evil thing come into our life. But God says, hey, wait a second, before you start going that way, come and sit with me and let us reason together. Let me show you how awesome forgiveness is. Come and sit at my table and let me feed you. So you have to know that God talks with us, walks with us, speaks with us. So on the flip side, no sin is too big for God, for God to forgive. And this is where it's good and this is where it kind of pins you a little bit. No sin is too small for you, for me to ignore. Don't we ignore a lot of the small things in our lives? Oh, well, that's, that's okay. It's no big deal. Now, I was thinking of it this way. So if you have a big boat and you have a little hole in the boat, what's going to win? The little hole. It's not the big boat. Eventually, that boat is going to be sank. Another example is, if you've ever sold or bought a house, an older house, there's always this inspection that has to take place. It's a termite inspection. Who's going to win? If you don't deal with termites, a big house or a tiny termite? Tiny termite is. How about a giant saint, this man of God, this person who prays half of his day on his knees in tears weeping before God? If, if you have this man of faith, but you have this little sin that he never deals with, What's going to win in that? It's going to be the little sin. The heart of this is, is you have to address the mess. You have to address 
the sin, the little sins in your life. Look what scripture says. Solomon 2.15. This changed my life when I got the revelation of this scripture. Because you can be preventative. When you see sin come knocking at your door, you can deal with it. Where it might just start as a wondering eye. But guess what? Five years down the road, it might end in divorce. How about you stop it over here at the wondering eye and allow it to have its full completion to destroying your marriage, to destroying your life, to destroying your children's life. And all situations are different with that. But we have to see that we have to catch it at its root, that don't allow lust to lead you down a road God never intended. Look what it says. It says, catch us the foxes, the little foxes that spoil the vines. He's saying, go and catch the little foxes that just want to nibble and destroy the vine, the little sins, the little things that want to bring destruction into your life. I remember a couple years ago, a mentor of mine shared this with me, and it completely brought this to life. You can write this down. Usually when I have a point that's just really good, I'll put like $5 signs right by it on my notes where it's just money. It's good. (laughs) It says, learn to judge sin at the smallest level possible. If we begin to judge sin at the smallest level possible, you watch the things you're able to prevent in your life because the truth is, big sin never just happens. It always starts at a seed. I want to look at real quick, and then we'll close and we'll pray. But a giant in the faith by the name of David. David was a man after a God's own heart. We know the famous story of David and Bathsheba, where David, wondering eye, caught Bathsheba showering, and he said, I want that woman. He killed that woman's husband, sent him out to battle, was killed so that he could have her, and his whole life began to unfold. But what you may not know is what was, you have to think, okay, what was the the sin in David's life or the little thing that maybe he never dealt with that led to him making such a, a crazy decision? He was King David, and he was willing to risk all of that, all of it away, just to have her. Well, if you go back and you look, God gave instruction for, of how a king was supposed to rule. And David was just kind of just like this about the instruction. Look what God says of how a king was to rule. It says, if, when, when you sh- should select a king to rule over you, like the other nations around us, if this happens, be sure to select a king, a man of the Lord that God chooses. It says that you must appoint a fellow Israelite that he may not be a foreigner. It says that the king must not build up a large stable of horses for himself or send people to Egypt to buy houses, for the Lord has told you you must never return to Egypt. And this is where David went wrong. So, okay, all that stuff, David's good. But it says the king must not take many wives for himself because they will turn his heart away from the Lord. If you know, David kind of was eh, about that one. You go and you read scripture, he had multiple wives throughout his journey as a king. And so there was something within him where David just, he couldn't really put that part of his life down or really deal with that part of his life. And so you can see the connection that if he didn't obey God's word with that, 
then why wouldn't he think anything about, she looks nice, I want her. It hasn't bit me in the butt before, so to say. So what What's wrong with this time? It's just the same thing I've kind of always done. You know, David writes about the aftermath of this sin, of what had happened. And this should be bring understanding for you and I. Because there's times in my life, I'm sure there's times in your life, when you wish you could go back and change an entire situation off a choice that I made or a choice that you made. Don't you wish sometimes you could jump in a time machine, go back and change a situation? I'm sure this was one for David. And you can see how he wrestled with God. In in Psalms 32, look what David says. It says, when I refused to confess my sin, my body wasted away, and I groaned all day long. Day and night, your hand of discipline was on me. My strength evaporated like water. So there was a wrestling with David that his discipline was upon him. Look what happened, and this should be encouragement for you and I when we go before God and we confess our sins. Verse 5, it says, finally. So after that discipline was on him, as it's on you and I, he came to a place of, okay, finally, I confess my sins to you, and I stopped trying to hide my guilt. I said to myself, I will confess my rebellion to the Lord. And look at this. And he forgave me and all my guilt is gone. That's how simple and easy that part is because that's what Christ desires for all of us. It's when we feel the hand of his discipline or the wrestling of the Holy Spirit to get us to a place of honesty, integrity, and being real, taking off the mask in order because God wants to forgive us and set us free and reinstate Christ-like integrity within us. Are you all with me this morning? Are you seeing the heart of your Father? And are you seeing that wilderness is not bad? It's necessary. Because God has a calling on your life. He's called you to come up out of the things of the world and raise your children differently than the way that you might see portrayed on TV. He's calling you to come up out of men, that your wife is not the old ball and chain. The way that we see these things portrayed, if they're contrary to God's word, then that's not what he has for you. He's called us higher. But we have, in order to go higher, we have to be honest. In order to allow the power of God into our heart and into our lives to transform us, not change us, so much deeper, transform us, make us full, make us whole, you have to get honest. And so my challenge for you is that at some point this week, when you, that you would sit down and you would get honest with God, whether it's journaling, whether it's sitting in a moment of prayer, maybe throwing worship on, and you would see that he might speak to you, that you go through and you read some of these scriptures and you, maybe you're like David, that there's a sin in your life that you've really never dealt with or that you've never confessed. And, and you might feel like him that your body is just wasting away, that there's this groaning within you that hasn't been settled. But when you do, like he said, when he confessed his rebellion to the Lord, he forgave him and all his guilt was gone. You ever experienced forgiveness when your guilt was gone? 
and how you felt like a new man, you felt like a new woman, your life was changed. That's what he desires for us on a regular basis. Just as you go to a doctor to check up, you need to check in with God every day and say, God, how's my soul? How's my soul? So if you bow your heads with me, I want to pray with you. Father, that's the question we ask. How's our soul? What mask are we wearing? What mask am I wearing? God, I pray for a spirit of honesty to come over us. Holy Spirit, through the honesty, you're our comforter. That as messy as it may get, what we might find or discover, you can guide us through. You can navigate us through and bring us to true north, true north Father. God, we set our eyes on you. We allow ourselves to be humble. And just as you wrestled with Jacob, just as you put your hand of discipline upon David, God, forgiveness was found. Restoration was found. God, the process to love is always a cross. Let us not be afraid of it. Let us not push it away, but let us embrace it. Your word says to take up our cross daily. So this morning, we take it up daily. And Monday morning, we're going to take it up. Tuesday, every day, we take up our cross. And we allow the work of Christ to be done in our life. So Father, this morning, we pray as you taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. So take the challenge this week. Spend time with God. Take that pill, as I say, of self-examination. Allow the work of the Holy Spirit to begin in your life. And so I want to pivot for a second. Uh, we're going to be doing this Wednesday, we're going to be teaming up as a part of our community connect with Master's Provision. You might have heard of Master's Provision or Isaiah House. This is an incredible ministry that meets... Uh, needs of people in our community and all over the world. So quickly, there's a video I want you to watch, and it's going to describe and show you a little bit about this ministry, and then we're going to have a time to give of our tithe and offering. So check this out. <laughs> 